0: I encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 2 Timothy chapter 1. And as you do, let me pray. Almighty God, I ask that you would help our souls to be still. To be still and know that you are God. And Father, as we look to your word now, Illumine our minds by your Spirit. Help us to marvel over the one that we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Our glorious Savior, Jesus. May our hearts find their delight and joy in him. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning is Communion Sunday where we come to the Lord's table to remember what Jesus has done for us and also by faith to commune with him at his table. And in light of recent events earlier this week, I thought it would be good to take a break from the Gospel of Mark and zero in here in 2 Timothy on Jesus and his death as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Because of that, I want us to look at 2 Timothy Timothy chapter 1 verse 10, but we're going to read from verses 3 to 10 for the sake of context, and we're just going to look at one simple clause in verse 10. Now Paul is writing in prison when he writes this letter to young Timothy, and in one sense it is his departing words. It is his last letter that he wrote before he died. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Paul in verse 8, he exhorts Timothy to not be ashamed. To not be ashamed of Jesus nor of Paul who is currently in prison. And he exhorts Timothy to actually go so far as share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. To be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel, the good news of what God has done for sinners in Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul exhorts him to do this in verse 9, or verse 8, sorry, by the power of God. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then we get this description in verse 9 of what God has done on behalf of Paul and Timothy, and also really anyone who is a follower of Jesus, anyone who has been saved by Jesus. And so he says in verse 9, who, that is in reference to God, who saved us and called us. So this God, Paul says, he saved us and he called us. So when you and I were lost in our sins, dead in our transgressions, God, in his mercy, saved us from our sins. He brought us salvation, but he did not merely save us. He also called us. He called us to what? To a holy calling. So God saved us from our sins, but he saved us for the purpose of being a holy people that would live for his glory. But then he tells us why. Why? Why did he save us and why did he call us to a holy calling? Look at what he says. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. God saved us. He called us. Not having to do with anything with us. It had nothing to do with what you and I have done or not done. God saved us and called us not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. It had nothing to do with what we've done, but out of the sovereign freedom of his purpose and grace, he saved us and called us. If you are here this morning, if you have experienced the salvation that is in Jesus Christ, understand this. It had nothing to do with you. And everything to do with the sovereign purpose and grace of God. So he tells us why he saved us and called us. And now in verse 9. We're told when did he give us or when he gave us this grace. When did he give us this grace according to verse 9. This is an incredible statement. So he saved us. And called us not because of our works. But because of his own purpose and grace. And look at this. This is when he gave it to us. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Before the ages began. Incredible. So there was grace given to us in Christ Jesus. Or stored up in Christ Jesus. Before the ages began. That is in eternity. He gave it to us then. But then in verse 10, Paul tells us that which was given to us in eternity has now been manifested. It's been manifested. How has it been manifested? We'll look at verse 10. And which now has been manifested, how? Through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That grace which is given to us in Christ before the ages began has now been revealed. It has now been manifested in the appearing, that is the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God, entering into our world, taking on human flesh and living amongst us. And it's here where I want us to focus our attention this morning in light of us participating in the Lord's Supper. See, Paul describes for us what Jesus did when he appeared or what he accomplished when he appeared, when he was manifested, what did he do according to verse 10? Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The appearing of our Savior, the appearing of Jesus Christ, his work was to abolish death and bring life and immortality to light. There are two things that he did or accomplished. He abolished, destroyed death, and two, he brought life and immortality to light. And the means by which he did this was through the gospel. As it says, right, in verse 10... He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Or to put it in reversal, through the gospel, that is through the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, through the gospel, he destroyed, abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light. And so Paul claims that Jesus abolished death. He destroyed it. How did he do that? By dying, Christ abolished death. He destroyed death by dying. He abolished death by his own death. You see, death is the result of what? Death is the result of sin. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Or Romans 5.12, Paul says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, through one man, that is Adam. Sin entered into the world through this one man. Then he says this, and death through sin. So sin comes into the world through one man, and now death comes through sin. And then he says this, and so death spread to all mankind. Why? Because all sin. Every human dies because Sin. sin is not, death is not natural. Death was never God's intended will for the human race. Death is an enemy of God. Death is the result of our sin. And so when Jesus was on that cross, we know that he was paying the penalty for human sin, which was death. And in so doing, he conquered the power that sin and death had over us. You see, if sin is dealt with, then death is also dealt with. Because death is the result of sin. In Hebrews 2, 14-15, the writer of Hebrews alludes to the fact that That Jesus, by his coming into this world and sharing in our nature, destroyed the one who had the power of death. This is what he writes. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. That is, he partook of our flesh and blood. He partook of our human nature. And then it says this, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. So through his own death, he destroys the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And verse 15, and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, Christ, through his death, destroyed the one who has the power of death And he delivered you and I, those of us who are in Christ, who were in fear of death and were under lifelong slavery because we knew that death was always awaiting us. Death is always at our doorstep. Christ has delivered us from that fear now because he has defeated death. Now this makes me ask, if Jesus has defeated death, Why do we who believe in him still die? He defeated death 2,000 years ago. We are still dying 2,000 years later. Why do we still die if Jesus abolished death? Well, here's the best way to think about it, I think. Jesus defeated death decisively. In his death and resurrection, but the consummation of his work isn't until the resurrection of the dead where we're told that death will be vanquished forever. In other words, what Christ accomplished or secured through his death and resurrection will not find its fulfillment in us not dying It won't find its fulfillment there. We will all die unless Jesus comes back. But rather, the fulfillment is in the resurrection from the dead. That is, we will die, but we will also rise, just as Christ died and he also rose. You see, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And then those who belong to him at his coming will experience the same resurrection that he experienced. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 alludes to that. See, this means that Christ's death and resurrection secures or guarantees our own resurrection. You see, in Christ abolishing death, it doesn't mean that we avoid death altogether, but it does mean that death no longer has the final word in our lives. The finality of death has been crushed by Christ's himself and this is why in John 11 where Jesus is having a conversation with Martha in light of Lazarus death he actually says though he die yet shall he live right listen to what he says I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die see Jesus is assuming that even if you believe in him you will die Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes and believes in me shall never die. Why? Because death in the end doesn't have the final word. And then he says this to Martha, do you believe this? Friends, do you believe this this morning? That death doesn't have the final word over your life. See, this is why we as Christians still die. But the promise of the gospel is that those who die in Christ will not remain dead for long. Death doesn't have the final word, and that's because through Christ's death, he put to death death. Christ defeated death by his own death. He went to war against death on that cross and came out victorious. Death doesn't win simply because of Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus, united to him by faith, even though you die, death actually has no power over you. The Apostle Paul talks about the fact in Romans 8 that death cannot separate the children of God from the love of God in Christ Jesus as he says in Romans eight thirty-eight to 39, for I am sure, Paul says, I'm sure of this. What is he sure of? That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am sure that neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Many of us woke up on Wednesday morning to hear the heartbreaking news that Nick Chalice, our brother in the Lord, at the age of 20, suddenly collapsed and died. For those here who don't know Nick, Nick was a, a a member at our former, for many of us, our former church, Grace Fellowship, he was the son of Tim Challey's, one of the pastors at Grace Fellowship. And I know for many of us who woke up Wednesday morning, it felt like death had won. But brothers and sisters, death hasn't defeated Nick, nor will it defeat you. For Christ has prevailed and triumphed over death. The grave could not hold him down, and neither will the grave be able to hold you down. you know the heartbreaking event of nick's passing happened tuesday night during the american election and wednesday when i heard the news it the heartbreaking news it it just reminded me how hopeless life is if you put all your hope in politics politics can do some good things Governments can bring change, either for good or for ill. They can pass good laws or bad laws. But here's one thing that politics can never solve, which is the greatest problem for each of us in this room, the reality of death. And this is why, as Christians, our hope does not lie in who is the president of America or the prime minister of Canada, for they have no power over death. This is why as Christians, our hope lies in Christ, because he has actually abolished death. But he's done more than that. He's not only abolished death, as we see, he's brought life and immortality to light. Through his death and resurrection, Christ has revealed or he has brought to light life, that is eternal life, which is made clear when he uses the word immortality. Christ has brought to life or brought eternal life to light. He's revealed it. He's made it known in his appearing. See, by his appearing, Christ has made known through his death and resurrection that he has destroyed death and brought immortality and eternal life to all who believe in him. And Paul alludes to this fact in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty to 53 where Paul is really, he's, he's explaining this incredible truth about the resurrection of the dead, and this is what he says in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That's bad news. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You and I cannot inherit the kingdom of God in our own flesh and blood. We who are perishable, we who are corrupting, cannot inherit that which is imperishable. But then Paul says this in verse 51 Behold, I tell you a mystery. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, immortality, then shall come the past, the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory over sin and death, through our Lord Jesus Christ. This perishable, corruptible body is going to put on that which is imperishable and incorruptible. Your bodies, which are mortal, will, by the power of God Himself, put on immortality. And this only comes about, brothers and sisters, because Christ, through His work on the cross made this certain, made it happen. Death has been defeated and eternal life is ours in Jesus Christ. And so when we come to the Lord's table to eat the bread and to drink the cup, we are reminded that this act, this very act of Jesus' body and blood being spilled for us. This act defeated death and brought life and immortality to us. And friend, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you need to come to the realization that death is knocking on your door. This past week reminded us how fragile and frail our lives are. We assume, we assume so much that we're going to live 70, 80 years. But the Bible describes us as grass that is here today and gone tomorrow. And there is only one way to overcome death. That is By embracing the one who defeated death for you. Kids, I want you to listen to me. I don't want to scare you, but I want you to hear this. If you have this mindset that you're going to decide to follow Jesus much later in life. God doesn't promise you later in life. God promises you right now. And I plead with you kids talk to your parents about what it means to truly follow Jesus, to give your life to Jesus. You will not regret it. Friends, we have a glorious Savior who has defeated death, has risen from the dead, and that is why we are here this morning, and that is why we come to this table this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus. When we were deserving of death and judgment, you in your mercy sent forth your Son in the fullness of time to destroy death by dying and to rise again to new life so that all those who embrace him will also rise to new life in him. We thank you for the sure hope that we have in Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.